Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, this is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your reader, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer in chief, Michael Ian Black. It is a joy to be with you as always. I have uh, just been out in the wilds of Connecticut foraging for my supper. Oh, surely that's not true, Michael, you're saying to yourself. You are not a forager by nature, and that is correct. However, it is springtime here, and in springtime, uh, here in the wilds of Connecticut, there comes a ramp season. Ramps are like kind of a cross between garlic and an onion in terms of taste. They look like scallions and they grow wild here in the wilds of Connecticut. And so upon hiking with my dogs, Jack-Jack and Oli, my dear bride spotted some ramps. She foraged them and we will have ramps probably tomorrow with an omelet or some such thing. The natural world is never very far from us, I guess is my point here. And all the natural things are never far removed from our experiences, even here in whatever century this is, the 21st century, I guess. I forgot what year it was a few episodes ago. And uh, for a brief moment, I forgot what century it is currently. So that's where my head is at. But even here, in the 21st century, nature is never too far removed from us, and the natural world and the ways of nature are ever-present, just as they were in 1895, when Jude and Sue were having 
their dalliance. And it is something of a dalliance. It is a pas de deux, which I have no idea if I'm pronouncing correctly or using correctly, but it is a phrase I have read and it means like a little dance that they do. And that's what's going on with, with Sue and Jude. Um, they just, Sue has just left Phillotson, her husband. Uh, she and Jude have run away together. They're on their way to Aldbrickham instead of Melchester. Melchester, because nobody will know them there. Jude has secured a hotel room for them for when they arrive at Aldbrickham. And Sue suddenly seems to be having a slight change of heart upon hearing that Jude has secured only one room for the two of them, because she knows what that means. She knows, you know, you know, insert wah-wah pedal sound effect, that that thing that you do when you only have one hotel room and you've been doing a little pause de deux pronunciation unknown and you've been waiting years that you know that's what's gonna that's what's gonna come to pass but she says oh i i i i i didn't mean for you to do that and jude is saying oh uh that's a surprise are you becoming conventional uh, just as i am becoming unconventional meaning we're not married and and under your tutelage, I've become open to the possibility of things that maybe I hadn't thought of before, such as doing it outside the bounds of marriage. And Sue seems to be having some reservations. So uh, he says, I hate convention. And he says, I hope it is that it is that not the other terrible alternative, meaning uh, I hope the reason you're having second thoughts here is just that you're, you're you're being a little conventional, not that you don't love me. All right. Even at this obvious moment for candor, Sue could not be quite candid as to the state of that mystery, her heart. (sighs) I mean, she's leaving her husband for him. I thought the mystery of her heart was solved. She, She says, put it down to my timidity, she said with hurried evasiveness to a woman's natural timidity when the crisis comes. I may feel as well as you that I have a perfect right to live with you as you thought from this moment. I may hold the opinion that in a proper state of society, the father of a woman's child will be as much a private matter of hers as the cut of her underlinen on whom nobody will have any right to question her. But partly Perhaps, because it is by his generosity that I am now free, I would rather not be other than a little rigid. If there had been a rope ladder and he had run after us with pistols, it would have seemed different and I may have acted otherwise. But don't press me and criticize me, Jude. Assume that I haven't the courage of my opinions. I know I am a poor, miserable creature. My nature is not so passionate as yours." He repeated simply, I thought what I naturally thought, but we, if are not, but if we are not lovers, we are not. Phillotson thought so, I am sure. See, here is what he has written to me. He opened the, he opened the letter she had brought and read. And this is Phillotson now writing to Jude. I make only one condition that you are tender and kind to her. I know you love her. 
but even love may be cruel at times. You are made for each other. It is obvious, palpable to any unbiased older person. You were all along and he's quoting here something, the shadowy third in my short life with her. I repeat, take care of Sue. I'm going to look up what the shadowy third refers to. Going back to the notes at the back of the book, and there's a little number that says 40 and under 40. It's from Browning's poem, By the Fireside. And uh, this is from stanza 46. If you join two lives, there is oft a scar. They are one and one with a shadowy third. Yeah. I'm trying to think who my shadowy third is. Don't we all have a shadowy third in our pasts? I really don't think I have one. I mean, there's some girls who, you know, broke my heart, but it doesn't linger. I mean, I'm fine, you know, I mean, I don't care, <laughs> you know, we wouldn't have been happy together anyway. <laughs> I don't care, whatever. <laughs> He's a good fellow, isn't he? She said with latent tears on reconsideration. She added, he was very resigned to letting me go too resigned almost. I never was so near being in love with him as when he made such thoughtful arrangements for my, for for by being comfortable on my journey. Uh, I think that's a typo. I think it should say for my being comfortable on my journey and offering to provide money. Yet I was not. If I ever if I loved him ever so little as a wife, I'd go back to him even now. But you don't, do you? It is true, oh, so terribly true. I don't, nor me neither, I half fear, he said pettishly, nor anybody, perhaps. So he's saying, you don't love him, you don't love me, you don't love anybody. What's your deal? Sue, sometimes when I am vexed with you, I think you are incapable of real love. That's not good and loyal of you, she said, and drawing away from him as far as she could, looked severely out into the darkness. She added in hurt tones without turning round. My liking for you is not as some women's, perhaps, but it is a delight in being with you, of a supremely delicate kind, and I don't want to go further and risk it by an attempt to intensify it. I quite realize that as woman with man, it was a risk to come. But as me with you, I resolve to trust you to set my wishes above your gratification. Don't discuss it further, dear Jude. Well, this, I mean, oh, this is frustrating. This is frustrating because uh, maybe just because I'm a dude and because I would feel like, well, for one thing, rejected. But for another, I would be perplexed because I guess, you know, I hate that expression, the friend zone, which is a garish expression. However, it feels apt in this moment that Jude felt as though, and she had given him every reason to believe that he had escaped the gravity of the friend zone and had now entered a new dimension, a more intense dimension, as she says, um, and that is the dimension of lover. And 
for him that um, it's not about, I don't think, physical gratification. I think it is about the culmination of a, a, an emotional state, a romance that has been budding for, for him and, and with him forever. And the fact that she's keeping him at arm's length in this moment, the moment of what he thought was the culmination of their relationship has to be utterly mystifying. And like Phillotson before him, he is being, well, the word that um, Hardy uses is pettish, which I guess means kind of, you know, pouty and sullen. But I mean, what else, how else is he supposed to be? That's how I would be. At best, I would be pettish. Um, but I would, um, I would almost certainly also be vexed. And she is being coquettish. She's not. She's she's not being coquettish. She's just being. She's she's expressing a fear, and it's the fear that um, you know a lot of people have, which is that if we take this to another level, it's going to ruin what we have. But lady, you've already taken it to another level. That's the point. Like you could have been intimate with him in the way that you're describing—a kind of emotional intimacy a closeness, a kinship, and still be married to Phillotson. If you're using Jude and Jude's feelings for you to escape your marriage and nothing more, well, lady, that's a shit thing to do. That's just shitty because you know that that's not what Jude wants. So she says, don't discuss it further, dear Jude. Uh, And he says, of course, if it would make you reproach yourself, but you do like me very much, Sue. Say you do. Say that you do a quarter, a tenth, as much as I do you, and I will be content. I've let you kiss me, and that tells enough. Just once or so. Well, don't be a greedy boy. <laughs> he leant back and did not look at her for a long time. That episode in her past history of which she had told him, of the poor Christminster graduate whom she had handled thus, returned to Jude's mind, and he saw himself as a possible second in such a torturing destiny. And remember, he ended up dead. And Sue kind of blamed herself, even though he just got kind of got sick. But maybe it was a broken heart, Right. Maybe the sickness was the result of a broken heart, as these things sometimes are. This is a queer elopement, he murmured. Yeah, perhaps you are making a cat's paw of me with Phillotson all this time. Upon my word, it almost seems so to see you sitting up there so prim. Now you mustn't be angry. I won't let you, she coaxed, turning and moving nearer to him. You did kiss me just now, you know, and I didn't dislike you too. I own it, Jude, only I don't want to let you do it again just yet. Considering how we are circumstanced, don't you see? He could never resist her when she pleaded, as she well knew. That's Hardy's parenthetical. That's not mine, but it may as well be be mine. And they sat side by side with joined hands till she aroused herself at some thought. I can't possibly go to that temperance inn after you're telegraphing that message. Why not? You can see well enough. That was me adding a sigh. That was not that was a parenthetical sigh from me doing a dramatic reading of Jude the Obscure by Thomas Hardy, the 1895 novel. 
You can see well enough. Very well. There'll be some other one open, no doubt. I have sometimes thought, since you're marrying Phillotson because of a stupid scandal, that under the affectation of independent views, you are as enslaved to the social code as any woman I know. So again, he's returning to this idea of conventionality. He's saying, you have made me unconventional, but underneath your suicide girl tattoos and your punk rock hairdo, I think you are as married to the social code as anybody. You're, you know, you're just like everybody else. And here I am giving up everything in terms of my belief systems for you uh, in doing what I always thought was wrong for you. And it turns out you're incapable of meeting me in the place where I thought you wanted to meet me. She says, not mentally, but I haven't the courage of my views. As I said before, I didn't marry him altogether because of the scandal, but sometimes a woman's love of being loved. And that is italicized. It is a hearty italicization gets. And she has mentioned this before. She has talked before about sometimes um, women just love to be loved. And that is enough for them. It is everything to them. And she's returning to that idea. Sometimes a woman's love of being loved gets the better of her conscience. And though she is agonized at the thought of treating a man cruelly, she encourages him to love her while she doesn't love him at all. Then when she sees him suffering, her remorse sets in and she does what she can to repair the wrong. You mean, this is Jude speaking, you mean that you flirted outrageously with him, poor old chap, and then repented, and to make reparation, married him, though you tortured yourself to death by doing it. Well, if you will put it brutally, it was a little like that. That and the scandal together, and your concealing from me what you ought to have told me before. So she's blaming, at least in part, him, which, you know fuck you. He could see that she was distressed and tearful at his criticisms and soothed her saying, there, dear, don't mind. Crucify me if you will. You know, you are all the world to me, whatever you do. I am very bad and unprincipled. I know you think that, she said, trying to blink away her tears. I think and know you are, my dear, from whom neither length nor breadth nor things present nor things to come can divide me. And that, again, has a little note. 41. Let's see what that is all about. In Romans 8, uh, it is from the love of God that nothing shall be able to separate us. Okay, so he's kind of paraphrasing Romans there. I mean, doesn't seem like that much of a reference to the Bible, but all right, if you want to say that, fine. Or maybe he's quoting the whole thing. I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. I have never read the Bible. I probably never will read the Bible. Uh, Not for lack of interest, but kind of for lack of interest. I just, you know, I kind of want to know about the Bible without going through the trouble of reading it. It just seems like a lot of words and uh, a lot of folks begetting other folks and a lot of stories that I've heard in some form before. And, uh, and, And as somebody who does not subscribe to any religion, it just seems like there are more interesting things to read 
I know it's the greatest book ever written, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe I would take a class in the Bible, but I'm not going to sit down and read Romans or Matthew or Mark or Samuel or Jacob or Destiny or her children or Reggie. Though so sophisticated in many things, she was such a child in others that this satisfied her, and they reached the end of their journey on the best of terms. It was about ten o'clock when they arrived at Aldbrickham, the county town of North Wessex. As she would not go to the Temperance Hotel because of the form of his telegram, Jude inquired for another, and a youth who had volunteered to find one wheeled their luggage to the George further on, which proved to be the inn at which Jude had stayed with Arabella on that one occasion of their meeting after their division for years. Well, you remember Jude unexpectedly ran into Arabella and they ended up spending a night together and Hardy certainly alluded to an encounter that evening without explicitly saying so. And this seems to be the hotel that they stayed at. Owing, however, to their now entering it by another door and to his preoccupation, he did not at first recognize the place. When they had engaged their respective rooms, they went down to a late supper. During Jude's temporary absence, the waiting maid spoke to Sue. I think, ma'am, I remember your relation or friend or whatever he is coming here once before, late, just like this, with his wife, a lady at any rate. That wasn't you by no manner of means, just as med be with you now. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> first of all, this was a first of all. OK, look, this was not recently. OK, the George must get lots of people coming and going and going and coming. And this serving maid, apropos of nothing, comes up to Sue and says, hey, lady, I think I seen your man before he was here a while ago with somebody uh, seemed to be his wife. But that wasn't you. <laughs> I mean, what an awful thing to say to somebody out of nowhere, just to come up to a stranger and say that shit. Uh, and so she says it and Sue goes, oh, do you? Said Sue with a certain sickness of heart, though I think you must be mistaken. How long ago was it? About a month or two. Okay, so it wasn't that long ago. I thought it was longer. About a month or two. A handsome, a handsome, full-figured woman. They had this room. When Jude came back and sat down to supper, Sue seemed moping and miserable. Jude, she said to him plaintively at their parting that night upon the landing. It is not so nice and pleasant as it used to be with us. I don't like it here. I can't bear the place, and I don't like you so well as I did. How fidgeted you seem, dear. Oh, my God. I mean, this is so like, it's like a telenovela here. It's just a soap opera. And I mean, I think, I'm sorry, I think this is just a dumb scene. It just seems like he's adding complications where there needn't be complications, like the emotional wrinkles apart, separate and apart from him having slept with Arabella at this hotel. Incidentally, his wife, 
like they're enough. We don't need this extra thing. How fidgeted you seem, dear. Why do you change like this? Because it was cruel to bring me here. Why? You were lately here with Arabella. There, now I have said it. Dear me, why? Said Jude, looking round him. Yes, it is the same. I really didn't know it, Sue. Well, it is not cruel, since we have come as we have, two relations staying together. How long ago was it you were here? Tell me, tell me. The day before I met you in Christminster, when we met, went back to Mary Green together, I told you I had met her. Yes, you said you had met her, but you didn't tell me all. Your story was that you had met as estranged people who were not husband and wife at all in heaven's sight, not that you had made it up with her. We didn't make it up, he said sadly. I can't explain, Sue. You've been false to me. You, my last hope, and I shall never forget it. Never. But by your own wish, dear Sue, we are only to be friends, not lovers. It is so very inconsistent of you to friends can be jealous. I don't see that. You concede nothing to me, and I have to concede everything to you. After all, you were on good terms with your husband at that time. No, I wasn't, Jude. Oh, how can you think so? And you have taken me in even if you didn't intend to. She was so mortified that he was obliged to take her into her room and close the door lest the people should hear. Was it this room? Yes, it was. I see by your look it was. I won't have it for mine. Oh, it was treacherous of you to have her again. I jumped out of the window. <laughs> she's saying, she's saying, how could you sleep with Arabella you, when you didn't love her? You weren't husband and wife in your mind under under heaven's gaze. And and then you brought me to the same hotel and you say like you didn't love her. But then when she came calling, like you slept with her without even a second thought. I was with my husband and rather than be with him, I jumped out of a fucking window. <laughs> she, uh, it's so frustrating for me. You know, I mean, you know it is because you've been listening. And if you've been listening, you know how maddening Sue can be to me. Just as she, she is maddening to Jude. Oh, all right. I'm, uh, I have to collect myself. I'm going to collect myself and we will be back here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, uh, we're back. I'm Mike Lee and Black. Sue has just thrown a bit of a tantrum because she found out that Arabella and Jude stayed at the very same hotel Or at least that's how I see it. I don't know. I don't know what her deal is. I'm frustrated. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm not an expert here. Nell Scovel, friend of Obscure, she is an expert. She has joined me before. She's a TV comedy writer. Maybe she can explain what Hardy is doing here or perhaps explain Sue to me. Hi, Nell. How are you? Good. Uh, I'm calling for your input as a writer, and then I'm calling for your input as just uh, a human being. So the writer question is, there's this scene uh, in Jude the Obscure where Jude and his love interest, who is also his cousin, show up at this hotel where, uh, and her name is Sue, and she has essentially left her husband to be with Jude. And as they're uh, getting ready, way, what would their what would their name be? Juice Juice uh, Juice Juice Ju- Juice 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 Juice. That just it, that just sounds anti-Semitic, doesn't it? <laughs> Suju. <laughs> I saw the most hilarious graffito the other day when I was in Minnesota walking through a little tunnel, like a little, uh, you know, like a walking path under a highway. And, there, and there's a little tunnel there and the graffito. And for listeners who are unfamiliar with the word graffito, it is the correct singular of graffiti. Mm. Um, there was a star of David airbrushed in the little tunnel and underneath it said Jews, J-E-W-S. Um, but it, it had a very neutral. Yeah feeling to it. And I couldn't tell anything about why that person had, had uh, spray painted the Star of David and just the word Jews. I thought that's either, it's either the kindest anti-Semitic graffito I've ever seen, or maybe it was just a celebration of Jews. I couldn't tell. I, I believe the, am I right, is implied. So, <laughs> Jews, am I right? <laughs> but even that, it's unclear. <laughs> Jusu's at the hotel. Right. They're at the hotel. And the waitress, uh, Jude's getting ready for dinner. And the waitress comes up to Sue at the table. And she says, hey, not for nothing. But I noticed that guy that you're with, he was here a few months ago with a different broad altogether. And Uh, so he gets cocked blocked by the waitress. He totally does. And I thought, well, that's just crazy. Just as a, from a literary point of view, that's crazy that he has this waitress at a busy hotel, recognize Jude from several months ago and know that he's the same guy that was here with a different woman and then has the gall to go up to the woman who's there in that moment and say, hey, this guy's a little boy slut. 
And I just thought from a literary point of view, what do you think about that? Would you, would you do that? How would you describe physically? Is there anything about him that would, I mean, no, I mean, recognizable. No, he doesn't have like tattoos on his face. Uh, He's not, he's, 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 I think he's sort of a handsome, but fairly unremarkable looking man. It's not like he would stand out particularly. Uh-huh. So it's kind of the Michael Ian Black of Wait a minute. <laughs> so here's the the rule of thumb in television writing and scripted writing is you're allowed one big coincidence and one little coincidence in every episode. I didn't know that. It's not like enforced by the police. <laughs> so so depending on how many other coincidences there are in that chapter, I I would either be okay with it. I don't is that a little one or a big one? It's kind of a big one. Well it not only is there that coincidence, but right before that um, but first of all, Jude didn't even know that that's the same hotel he was, he had stayed in previously with his, it was his wife that he was oh, staying with. So it wasn't with. set up. That's bad writing. Bad writing. They had, yeah. they had been scheduled to stay at another hotel and Sue, the woman had said, so did you get us one? You got us a room. And she's like, yeah. And she's like one room. And he's like, yeah, you just left your husband to be with me. Like I got us one room. And she's like, oh no, I didn't. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with that. Um, And, you know, and he's like, what are you talking about? Like, you literally just left your husband to be with me. And she's like, oh, yeah, but you're being very familiar. So and she's like, I can't even stay at that hotel because you had the audacity to book one room and everybody's going to know. So we have to find a different hotel. And that's how they end up at this random hotel. Uh, But it's not a random hotel. Do you think the author just needed, like, had written himself into a bind and didn't want to go back and revise the previous chapter? Maybe. Maybe. It felt lazy to me. So I didn't like that. And then... And then, from just, like, a human point of view, would you ever do that to a stranger? Or would you want someone to do that for you? Oh, uh, um, I think I would. You would if yeah. So you were with some dude, and then the waitress came up, and she was like, "Hey, that dude you're with, he was here months ago with somebody else." I think it's a girlfriend thing to do, right? Yeah. Well, I would always want more information. It, Information's always a good thing. It feels so have. nosy to me, though. Like, just get out of my business. <laughs> no, it's funny those coincidences or or those moments um you know when someone turns on a radio there's a famous yes. one in Beatles where she turns on the radio and it's like the concert right now <laughs> in 15 minutes you can get there if you drive fast enough and I always wanted to create a radio station called WEXP which is all exposition all the time that's Awesome. W-E-X-P. <laughs> all the time. And anytime you turned on the radio, it would, you know, inform your characters of what they needed to keep the plot moving. That's a great idea. Hey, here's another question. Maybe you don't have an answer for this, or maybe you don't want to share an answer for this. But um, in the book, they talk about how all relationships or many relationships exist. You know, romantic relationships have two people in them. 
And then they also have a shadowy third is what they call it, meaning somebody who just sort of exists just beyond the ken of their 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 vision. And I was trying to think if I had a shadowy third in my relationship well, with my that wife. That was the famous Princess Diana and Prince Charles. She said there, there's a third person in our marriage. That was Camilla. Uh, How can you not remember that, Michael? I didn't devote a lot of my brain resources. I know I did not devote. I didn't, I wasn't as entranced with Charles and and Diana as maybe the Uh, rest of the world was, but I do remember that Camilla was their shadowy third. Yeah. It's possible. It's also a more British thing because they're, because they're so buttoned up. But, uh, do you think, do you ever think you were somebody's shadowy third? Was I somebody, uh, Maybe shadowy fourth at best. (laughs) (laughs) At best. (laughs) Thank you, as always. Oh, you're welcome. So that's Nell, writer Nell Scovel. Always fantastic. Returning to the book, Sue has just said to Jude... I jumped out of a window for you. And Jude responds, but Sue, she was, after all, my legal wife. If not, slipping down on her knees, Sue buried her face in the bed and wept. I never knew such an unreasonable, such a dog in the manger feeling, said Jude. I am not to approach you nor anybody else. Oh, don't you understand my feeling? Why don't you? Why are you so gross? I jumped out of the window. Jumped out of window? (laughs) So he's just hearing it now for the first time. Like she said it once. And it just kind of went over his head and he's like, what? And then she says it again. And she's like, and he's like, wait, you jumped out of a window. What are you talking about? She's like, I can't explain, but I've said it twice. So clearly I want to explain. And this is another thing that she does. She said, I'm not going to tell you the thing because it's because I can't. But and then she immediately does. I can't explain. It was true that he did not understand her feeling very well, but he did a little and began to love her nonetheless. I, I thought you cared for nobody, desired nobody in the world but me at that time and ever since, continued Sue. It is true, I did not and don't now, said Jude, as distressed as she. But you must have thought much of her, or no, I need not. You don't understand me either. Women never do. Why should you get into such a tantrum about nothing? He's saying what men have all always said it meant nothing to me and besides she's my wife (laughs) i mean this is the old argument i mean this is it i mean we have heard this in every telenovela from time immemorial although we have heard it in spanish um because that is what they speak on telenovelas but it is that thing of the woman walking in and him saying i can explain it doesn't mean anything I wish I could say that in Spanish, but I don't speak it. Looking up from the quilt, she pouted provokingly. If it hadn't been for for that, perhaps I would have gone on to the temperance hotel after all, as you proposed, for I was beginning to think I did belong to you. Oh, it is of no consequence, said Jude distantly. Ooh, 
Byrne. I thought, of course, that she had never been really your wife, since she left you of her own accord years and years ago. My sense of it was that a parting such as yours from hers and mine from him ended the marriage. I can't say more without speaking against her, and I don't want to do that, said he. Yet I must tell you one thing which would settle the matter in any case. She has married another man, really married him. I knew nothing about it till after the visit we made here. Married another? It is a crime, as the world treats it but does not believe. There, now you are yourself again. Yes, it is a crime, as you don't hold, but would fearfully concede. But I shall never inform against her, and it is evidently a prick of conscience in her that has led her to urge me to get a divorce, that she may remarry this man legally. So you perceive I shall not be likely to see her again. And you didn't really know anything of this when you saw her, said Sue more gently as she rose. I did not. Considering all things, I don't think you ought to be angry, darling. I am not. But I shan't go to the Temperance Hotel. (sighs) She was never going to go to the Temperance Hotel. They booked a room at the George. They got two rooms at the George because she didn't want to go to the Temperance Hotel. And somehow you can only have sex at the Temperance Hotel. You can't have sex at the George, apparently. He laughed. Never mind, he said. So that I am near you, I am comparatively happy. It is more than this earthly wretch called me deserves. You spirit, you disembodied creature, you dear, sweet, tantalizing phantom, hardly flesh at all, so that when I put my arms round you, I almost expect them to pass through you as through air. Forgive me for being gross, as you call it. Remember that our calling cousins, when really strangers, was a snare. The enmity of our parents gave a piquancy to you in my eyes that was intenser even than the novelty of ordinary new acquaintance. Say those pretty lines then from Shelley's Epipicici de Dian. Wait. She's asking him to quote Shelley's, and then this is this is the title, Epipsychidion. Epipsychidion. E-P-I-P-S-Y-C-H-I-D-I-O-N. As if they meant me. Okay, so I'm going to go to the note here, 42. So yeah, do me a favor, Jude. Quote Shelley. It's an appropriate point of reference for Sue as she imagines herself to be, and the quotation is an occasion for an exhibition of her silly vanity. And here's, uh, oh, she's about to do the quotation. Uh, Say it as if they meant me, she solicited, slanting up closer to him as they stood. Don't you know them? I know hardly any poetry, he replied mournfully. Don't you? These are some of them. And then now she's quoting, There was a being whom my spirit oft met on its visioned wanderings far aloft. Okay, so let me just reread that. Because I can, you know, if you've been listening to this, you know I can never understand poems upon the first reading. Like, I'm a legitimate idiot. I have said it repeatedly, and I'm saying it again. There was a being whom my spirit oft met on its visioned wanderings far aloft. Got it. So she, uh, there was, you know, like, uh, there was somebody that I met when I was dreaming, basically, I think. A seraph of heaven 
too gentle to be human, veiling beneath that radiant form of woman. So that's lovely. If a little, you know, I was going to say abstract, but I'm going to say bullshitty instead. You know, it's this thing that I don't like of, you know, that putting women on pedestals and saying they are something more than human. It's a way of otherizing women. And you can otherize them by placing them above you or otherize, otherize them by placing them below you. Either way, you are saying they are something other than human, which, you know, I get it. Like you're, you're writing a poem, right? It's a little ode to this serif, but you know, shut up. Oh, it is too flattering, so I won't go on. Oh, so she's quoting this essentially about herself. Oh, it is too flattering, so I won't go on. But say it's me. Say it's me. It is you, dear, exactly like you. Now I forgive you, and you shall kiss me just once there. Not very long. She put the tip of her finger gingerly to her cheek, and he did as commanded. You do care for me very much, don't you? In spite of my not... You know, yes, sweet, he said with a sigh and bade her good night. So she, and that's the end of chapter five. She really is. I mean, I was going to say like this note about how it's about her silly vanity. She is silly. She is vain. Like in some ways, she is this very sophisticated, modern woman in other ways as hardy says in this chapter she is utterly childish and naive she really does just want to be loved she is in love with being loved she's like um like an influencer you know she's like this instagram chick just wanting to feel cute all the time and needing the attention of anybody. Uh, Okay, I gotta go. I'm gonna go check my Twitter. I'll be back in a minute. And we're back. Sue and Jude are at the George Hotel in two rooms. Of course, Jude is reaffirming Sue through poetry, as one does. Is he doing the right thing? I don't know. I really don't. Is she doing the right thing? I don't know. I really don't. But there is a shallowness to her that emerges at times, bubbling up from the wellspring of her soul that is just so off-putting. I get it. She's young. He's young. Like they're young. Right. But, you know, at a certain point, they've both been married. Grow up. Understand what you're doing and who you're doing it to. Don't don't make him, as he said, her cat's paw. Because that would just be devastating to me personally. Okay, I don't even care about Jude to me. And it's because I care about Jude so very much. I just don't want I, you know, I look, I have said all along, I know this is going to end well. But I don't like the idea that it's going to end in heartbreak. Like, let it be, you know, let it be a murder suicide, as I have said, let it be something. Don't let it be just that she turns out to be utterly vain and shallow. Let it be more than that. I don't know. Will it be? I don't know. Chapter five has concluded. Will 
she probe deeper into her soul? Will they at some point visit the Temperance Hotel, even if not literally but metaphorically? And what will that mean for their relationship? Who knows? We will find out, however, on another scandalous episode of Obscure. Until then, I bid you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com and be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. And you can talk to us at Obscure with Michael Ian Black at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't, why did you make it all the way to the credits? Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedgren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor. If you would like information about sponsoring our show, email hello at midroll.com from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black. This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que no está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher. Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you listen. Hola, Spanish Aki Presents. Spanish Aki Presents.